At some point in our businesses, most of us are going to find ourselves in a position where we need to raise our prices. And that can happen for a number of reasons. Um, you know, the the sort of clear-cut, hardline reasons that you might need to raise your prices have to do with profitability. Sometimes, and by sometimes I mean a lot of the time, I see photographers who go into business and don't start out with a very clear idea of what their numbers are, whether because they don't run them at all, they just kind of wing it, or because they run them but they don't really understand what their expenses are going to be, or... Um, you know, they're just kind of guesstimating everything, which is kind of what you have to do at the beginning. But at some point along the line, if they haven't run their numbers or haven't run them accurately, and they come to the realization that their business isn't profitable, then they have to change their prices. Um, the other really clear cut reason is that at some point, perhaps your circumstances or your number has changed. Maybe you buy a house and all of a sudden you're, you've got a mortgage payment that's bigger than your rent payment was, or um, maybe you have a kid and you you need to accommodate for that in terms of your income. So your circumstances change. Those are things where it's pretty easy to say, you know what, I have to raise my prices. But there are these sort of softer reasons that are no less valid for raising your prices as well. Um, number one, it may not be that your circumstances change. You don't have to make more money, but maybe your goals have changed. Maybe you've, you know, started to think bigger about what you'd like your, um, your income to be or your, your savings to be or something like that. Um, you may be in a situation where you're booked super far out. So the, you know, demand exceeds the supply. Uh, so you decide, well, in order to, you know, accommodate for that and maybe reduce the number of bookings that I'm getting, I'll just raise the price, make the same amount of money, but not do as much work. Totally valid reason to uh, to bump your prices. Same thing if you're, you know, every single client that calls you or close to every single client that calls you to find out your, uh, your prices books you because you're not getting, if you're not getting any pushing, pushback about your pricing, chances are it's time to raise your prices. Um, and then the fourth one, and this is kind of my favorite because I think a lot of people get hung up here. Um, there is this weird pricing no man's land where you are too expensive for some people, but honestly too cheap for others. Like you're not expensive enough to make them feel like it's going to be, um, a luxury spend for them. So you end up in this place in my uh, specific geographic area. That's kind of the like 500 to $900 range I find for family photography, where if that's what you charge, I think you end up having a very low booking rate because, um, because it seems like people don't know what to do with your business. So a lot of photographers in that position where people are turning them down are tempted to lower their prices because they are hearing from some people you're too expensive. So they're like, well, maybe I am too expensive and I need to go down to $450 or whatever the case may be. But my recommendation in that situation is to bump your prices up. I think that that's actually a really good indicator that you are in a place where you need to get past that threshold and start tapping into that market that, um, that wants to spend more than you're charging. Long story short, 
There are lots of reasons out there to raise your prices, but most of us find the prospect of doing so scary. (laughs) So today I am going to walk you step-by-step through how to tackle a price change. Um, We're going to talk first about the actual changing of the numbers, and then we're going to get into the trickier stuff like changing your messaging and addressing your the new pricing with your existing clients. Welcome to This Can't Be That Hard. My name is Anami Tonkin, and I help photographers run profitable, sustainable businesses that they love. Each week on the podcast, I cover simple, actionable strategies and systems that photographers at every level of experience can use to earn more money in a more sustainable way. Running a photography business doesn't have to be that hard. You can do it and I can show you how. So changing the actual numbers in your business shouldn't really be that hard. Most of us have a relatively simple set of offerings, and if you use a straightforward pricing strategy, raising your prices is also going to be simple. It's just like a formula um, where you kind of move things in relation to your expenses. And since most of us don't offer a thousand different things, we're really only talking about adjusting a handful of numbers. But pricing isn't just about the numbers, right? (laughs) There is a lot of mindset stuff wrapped up around those numbers, both for us and for our clients. So like I promised in the beginning, I want to take this step by step. When you get to a place where you either know or you suspect that the time has come to raise your prices, the first thing I want you to do is run your numbers. Even if you've run them before, running your numbers should not be a one-time thing. That's the sort of annual practice, sometimes even more frequently than that, that you should get in the habit of doing, um, both because it's going to make sure that your pricing stays profitable, but it also gives you the ability over time to look back and sort of see how your business has grown and changed. And that can be super gratifying. So, you know, your numbers are going to change and evolve right along with your business. Um, Life throws us different expenses. Um, We buy different equipment. We, you know, take on different kinds of projects. Those things are ever changing. And it's really hard to constantly be tweaking, um, you know, your bookkeeping, unless you are an unusual uh, artist entrepreneur, (laughs) is probably something that you attend to periodically rather than constantly. So again, setting aside time on your calendar each year to rerun your numbers is great. But especially in the situation where you're getting ready to change your prices, you want to do a full deep dive on your numbers. Um, And I know that that phrase, run your numbers, (laughs) is kind of like a vague admonition if you're not really sure what that means. I feel like when I was a new photographer, um, and kind of later in my photography career than I probably care to admit, I would avoid looking at the hard numbers because it just felt like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing. But since I have learned how to do that, I can tell you that It is not a particularly difficult thing. The numbers in most of our one-person photography businesses are not complicated. And knowing those numbers and having an actual handle on what you're talking about is so um, empowering. So let's talk about what running your numbers means. 
The first thing to consider is going to be your time. So money is infinitely adjustable, right? You can make more money, you can make less money, but time, (laughs) I don't care who you are, where you live, anything else, it is 24 hours in every day. And, um, you know, even if you have terrible boundaries and you let your work bleed into all parts of your life, you still only get those 24 hours every day, just like the rest of us. So Instead, you know, my suggestion would be that you designate certain hours of the day and certain days of the week and certain weeks of the year as your work time and then use that to help form the basis of your pricing. The next thing to inventory is your income. And this is truly the easiest part because it is just the total amount that people pay you. It's, it's gross. So it's a, it's a full number without anything subtracted out. If you um, deposit all of the income from your business into a separate account, that's literally just going to be all of the contributions to that account over the course of a year. That's your income. Then there are your expenses. And this part is a little trickier than the income part, but it's not a whole lot trickier. And, you know, my absolute recommendation to anyone in business is that you keep these things separate from your personal expenses. So you have a bank account that all of your, uh, you know, all the money that clients pay you goes into that account. And then when you have expenses for your business, you should have a credit card that's associated with that business account. And you pay your expenses with the credit card or out of the account directly. So none of that should mingle with your personal expenses. Um, but expenses are divided out into three different big buckets. Number one is your fixed expenses and your fixed expenses are anything that you would spend money on kind of regardless of how many clients you have. So, um, you know, those are going to be things like the software that you have to use and, um, you know, your website expenses and things like that. The second category is your client specific expenses And those are going to get into things like if you um, use, if you outsource editing, but you only pay an editor when you have a session to send them, those are going, that's going to be a client specific expense. So if nobody hires you all year, you have zero editing expenses. If one person hires you, let's say you spend a hundred dollars on editing. And if, uh, you know, a thousand people... (laughs) Let's say, let's make that easier. A hundred people hire you at a hundred dollars each. That's then going to be $10,000 in expenses. So that grows and shrinks with the number of clients that you have. That's a client specific expense. And then the third category, which is a little confusing with client specific expenses is your cost of goods sold. But in this case, that number is only the cost of products that people purchase from you. Um, Like, you know, if you sell a canvas and you charge $500 and um, it costs you $100 to produce that canvas, that's your cost of goods sold is that $100 out of the $500. And cost of goods sold is actually usually expressed as a percentage. So in that case, it would be 20%. Um, Cost of goods sold is kind of its own whole topic. You can Google it, um, and I'm going to talk to you in a little bit about. I do offer more information about pricing, um, but these are this is the the bare bones. The other expenses that you want to make sure that you're factoring in, and these you know kind of go into that fixed expenses category. But I mention them because a lot of people 
forget to put them into their expenses. Number one is going to be your salary. You need to be paying yourself. You need to account for the fact that you should be <laughs> making more money than um, than you're spending in your business, and you should be setting aside some of that to go into your you know, checking account to pay for groceries and things like that. So your salary, your taxes, if you are self-employed and you live in a place where you have to pay self-employment taxes or, um, you know, social security tax or any of those kinds of things, you need to set that aside. Um, I highly recommend that you are setting aside money and contributing to some sort of retirement savings. I see a lot of people being like, well, I'm still new in business. I don't need to think about that right now. I'm just trying to, you know, make enough to to stay in business. Again, you need to be saving for retirement really from the b- beginning. It's very easy to let years slip by where you're not contributing to that and um and that ends up causing you problems down the road. And then insurance. Um, again, not a sexy thing to spend money on, not something that everybody wants to think about. But unless someone else is paying for your medical insurance and um, all of that stuff is covered, you need to make sure that you are including that in what you're calculating so that you are charging enough to cover that stuff. And again, I see a lot of photographers, especially those who are newer, skipping some of those last few expenses, saying things like, well, I would be paying for medical insurance anyway. But if you want to set yourself up for a long or even a moderately long career in photography, you really do have to factor those costs in because they will eventually catch up with you. And then you're in that situation that I was describing in the beginning where you realize, like, I'm not making enough money for this job to to be worth it. So then you have to hike your prices way up at some point down the road. Don't just kick that can down the road. You know, take that into account now and um, and make sure you're factoring it in. And so, like I said, I do teach pricing in much more depth. Um, I include all of that in the Simple Sales Blueprint. When you learn Simple Sales from me, you know, my belief is that understanding what profit means specifically for you and your business is really the first step to creating a profitable version of the simple sales system. So, you know, I have a calculator and I have formulas, I have all of it mapped out and I walk you through it step by step. But if you're, you know, not interested in implementing simple sales in your business, or you're not really ready to pull the trigger on the blueprint, um, I do have a standalone pricing course that is a lot less expensive, um, where you can learn just the pricing part. So the math and the psychology of pricing, um, in such a way that you can use it and apply it to any pricing model. So if you'd like to learn more about that course, you can go to this can't be that hard.com slash pricing. So once you've run your numbers, you're going to have a much clearer picture of what you need to charge in order to achieve those numbers. And for a lot of people, this is, um, this, if you're running your numbers for the first time, this can be a pretty vulnerable, scary place because usually that number is a lot higher than what you were already charging or planning to charge or think that you can charge and get anyone to pay. Um, so if you're in that place, or if you suspect that you're in that place, I um, I want to reassure you that you are not alone. <laughs> a lot of people are there and a lot of people have moved past that and made it work. As hard as it might be to believe, 
those clients are out there who not only can spend that money, can afford to pay that much for photography, but will and want to. Um, it's something that they're willing to invest in. So just a little pep talk. And that leads us to the second step, which is actually changing your pricing and introducing that new pricing to your clients. And the reason that we do this after running our numbers is twofold. So in addition to the rather obvious benefit of, you know, defining the line between profit and loss in your business, understanding your numbers can also empower you if you, like many of us, feel anxious about, you know, the judgment that might come your way with higher prices or um, the rejection that might come your way. (laughs) The fact of the matter is that knowing your numbers will give you confidence that whatever it is that you're charging is fair and reasonable. Because When you don't believe that, you know, that's when selling starts to feel icky. (laughs) But when you do believe it, when you know deep down that the prices that you are quoting are not only reasonable, but they really are required in order for you to stay in business and pay yourself fairly, that's going to come across to your potential clients, that sort of deep confidence. I imagine, you know, most of us try to support businesses that treat their employees fairly, right? We feel better when we're supporting businesses that pay their employees a living wage and they don't work them to death and all of those things. And some of us go so far as to do things like boycotting Amazon or buying local meats or, you know, whatever the case and whatever the cause may be. So why on earth would we work until 3 a.m. or give up weekends with our kids or, you know, any number of other things that we do for $5 an hour when you break it down on an hourly basis? I find that the knowledge of your numbers and the knowledge of like, I'm doing this because this is what I have to charge in order to like run a business that makes any sense, it helps take any defensiveness out of, you know, my mind and my voice when someone starts to like question or raise their hackles about how much I charge. I don't need to explain all of those things to them. I I never do unless they get really specific and ask. But just knowing it myself is enough and it really seems to come across. Okay, so in a perfect scenario, I would recommend making, you know, big pricing adjustments during your quiet season. So anything beyond just like tweaking maybe the prices in your online store or um, maybe tiny little adjustments to collections or things like that. If you're going to adjust your session fee and um, your collection prices in any kind of significant way, you want to do that ideally during your quiet season. For many of us, January is a good time. Um, You know, it's both a quiet time and also because the new year is kind of an intuitive time to make big business changes. People, our clients, seem to expect those things at that time. But all of this to say, like, you don't have to wait for January um, or even your slow season. If what you're charging right now isn't profitable It's, you know, kind of like that old adage about the best time to plant a tree. Like the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is now. If your business is losing money because your prices are too low, you really need to stop what you're doing right now and change your prices. And again, coming up with the prices themselves is typically not the hard part. If you're all-inclusive, it's just a shift of your one all-inclusive price. 
If you are doing in-person sales, maybe you change your session fee, maybe not, um, but certainly your products and your digital files might need to be adjusted. And if you're using the simple sales system, you would adjust your session fee and then your three collection prices. And um, you know, if you've got the simple sales blueprint, there are formulas for all of that stuff, so it really doesn't take more than a few minutes. The hard part um, <laughs> is introducing that pricing, right? It's telling people about your new prices. So here's how I suggest you do that. As soon as you have your new pricing plan in place, all new inquiries get that pricing. No, you know, you don't need to tell them like I've just changed my prices. It's just like, whoops, you called one day too late to get my old prices. Now you have my new prices and they are none the wiser. Hang on, guys. I have a quick message for you. Did you know that This Can't Be That Hard isn't the only podcast I host? Each month, my marketing director, Dana, and I team up to bring you a fresh injection of marketing ideas and inspiration on our other podcast called The Consistency Club. The podcast is free and available to any photographer looking to uplevel their marketing game, or you can take it one step further and join The Consistency Club, where you get the extended version of the podcast along with monthly email and social media templates, bonus trainings, and special access to the live marketing events we host twice a year. If you're interested in tuning in, you can search for and subscribe to The Consistency Club wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to join us in the membership, you can visit go.thiscantbethathard.com slash club to sign up. For people who are not brand new to your business, if the overall increase that you are implementing is less than 25%, so, you know, in other words, if someone paying your old prices would expect to spend around $500 and you're bumping your prices to a point where now they're going to need to spend more like $700, I would say that you should just increase your prices for past clients and not make a big fuss about it. That is... Um, a reasonable change. It's a reasonable jump, you know, and if they call the day before you set your new prices to go live, lucky them. If not, lucky you. <laughs> and if they say anything about the prices going up, um, again, no need to over explain, certainly no need to apologize. Just acknowledge that the prices have gone up with something like, you know, yep, just making sure I can continue to give you great service or yep, it's that time of year again. Or, you know, um, you could blame it on someone else. I have a friend who always says, <laughs> my accountant made me do it, which, um, you know, gets a little bit of a chuckle, uh, but usually not much pushback. If the overall increase that you are instituting is more than 25%, uh, you certainly can still just rip off the Band-Aid and introduce it the way that I just described without any, like, warning or preamble. There is still no reason to apologize or make excuses for trying to run a profitable business. But at the same time, you know, <laughs> a big increase in your prices can and will mean that you are going to lose some past clients. It just is the fact of the matter. Um, and that includes people who, by all appearances, could afford your new prices. If you missed episode 98, which was a little while ago, um, I talked about something called pricing anchors. And I would suggest, if you did miss it, that you go back and listen to that episode. But one of the strongest price anchors that any of us has is the anchor of a previous price to a new one for the same item. 
So in other words, you know, if you're used to paying $3 for a cup of coffee at your local coffee shop, and one day you walk in and you find that the same cup of coffee costs $5, you're, you know, almost definitely going to think like, whoa, this place has gotten so pricey. You might even change your order or start going to a different coffee shop, um, even if that price change doesn't really affect your overall budget, right? As business owners gearing up for a big price increase, one thing we can do to mitigate that issue is to change up our offer at the same time. So let's say that you've historically been all-inclusive and you just provided a session in digital files. If you know you need to hike up your prices, that could be a smart time to change from all-inclusive to a more full-service model where you're either doing like simple sales or in-person sales or something like that and you're selling more product. Because that way, your clients are more easily able to justify that price change in their own minds. Um, You're able to demonstrate sort of added value to go along with the added cost. If the coffee shop that we were, you know, the imaginary coffee shop that we were talking about needed to bump their prices, they could have changed from like a generic sounding roast to a more exotic sounding coffee or, you know, a sustainably harvested coffee or something that, you know, they can feature this upgrade that their clients are getting. And sometimes those things don't actually cost the business more. They're just able to use that language to help break the price anchors in their clients' minds. But whether or not we're changing up our offer, I know for a lot of us, springing up, you know, 50% or 100 or 200% price increase on our roster of lovely, loyal clients um, without any sort of warning just doesn't sit right. So unfortunately, what I see a lot of people doing is offering their old clients the ability to keep their old pricing um, as a sort of like legacy client offer. And they do that I think they tell themselves that they're doing that out of respect and love for their clients. Um, But my suspicion is that it really has to do more with kind of a fear um, or a scarcity approach where they are truly concerned that if they make them pay new prices, they won't. Or if they ask them to pay new prices, they won't. And then, you know, that judgment is what they're trying to avoid by not raising their prices. And I, you know, I think that that's unfortunate because I think it's an, it's a short-sighted solution. Yes, it might encourage your old clients to stick around. Um, and yes, it might be a little less vulnerable in the, on the front end to you. But what you end up doing if you uh, lock that in is you are locking yourself in to an unprofitable or a much less profitable relationship for kind of an unlimited period of time, right? I mean, if you raise your prices this year and you tell your existing clients, okay, but you're my existing clients, I love you guys, you get to keep paying the old prices, when does that end? Like a year from now, three years from now, five years from now? And then what do you say then? Like, well, I raised my prices five years ago and now you have to catch up? More or less, you're stuck with those prices for a long time. And over time, that's almost definitely going to create some amount of frustration or resentment in you. You know, when your old client books a session and then a new client wants to book for the same time and you have to say no because you're already busy, that's going to be super frustrating and it's going to make you feel undervalued by your old client. It just is. 
Even though right now it may seem crazy that you're ever going to really fill your client, your calendar rather, with people who are paying your new higher prices, you'd be surprised. Like that will happen. And as soon as people start paying those new prices, you will mentally adjust and believe that those new rates are what your time is worth. And so when somebody's paying a lot less than that, it's going to build this resentment. And that is not a good place from which to approach a session. So if you're not going to institute legacy pricing, but you know you want to give the clients who've supported you in your journey some kind of extra love or incentive to stick around, what's the plan, right? I recommend one or both of the following two options. The first, and this is really the simplest, it can be done very quickly, is to send out an email to your existing clients, your former clients, um, but only the ones that you are really attached to uh, to working with. You don't need to offer this to everyone. It's your business. <laughs> um, so I would send out an email and I would say, hey, guys, I'm, you know, it's, I'm, it's so nice to touch base, you know, blah, blah, blah. You make up whatever email you want. But the crux of the email is going to be, I have some very exciting news And I do want you to frame this as positively for them as possible. So this is another benefit to shifting up your model a little bit because you can talk about like things are changing around here and now I have these great products to offer you or, you know, I'm going to make this a lot easier for you or whatever the case may be. Focus on the benefits and then mention along with these changes, uh, my pricing has changed. Now, if you're not changing your model, I still want you to focus on the benefit to them of the fact that you are changing your pricing in order to be able to stay in business and serve them. So that's okay too. Now, it may be a little less compelling to them because it's more about you and less about them. But again, a lot of people want to support small business owners. They understand that running a small business costs money. Um, so, you know, just frame it that way and say, I want to be able to offer you the best service that I can. Um, you know, and so the prices are changing and what you do is you tell them that this is happening and then you give them a limited period of time during which to book at the old rates. So you might say, you know, for the next two weeks, book a session and, you know, the, I would give it a booking time frame and I would also give it like an execution time frame. So, you know, book with me in the next week or two weeks um, for any time before September 1st, for a session anytime before September 1st, and you can opt to go with the old rates and the old program. Boom, done. You will hear back from some people. You won't hear back from other people. You could send out a reminder email before that booking period of time ends just to re-remind them like the deadline is coming up to take advantage of the old pricing. And then after that period of time, then everybody just moves into the new pricing. The second alternative for how to give your old clients some options, um, and this adds a bit of work to the offer, but it could end up being more beneficial over time, is to create a membership offer. So you guys have heard me talk about my course Revenue on Repeat on the show before, um, back in 2019, I launched a membership to my family clients that basically invited them to start paying me on a monthly basis. And it was like a subscription. They got a session every year. They got a bunch of other perks. 
Um, and it ends up costing them less than hiring me for a one-off session. But the benefit to me is that, A, I get you know money in my bank account automatically every month. And B, um, I know that they're coming back to me year after year after year. So over time, they end up spending a lot more money with me, even though um, for an individual session, they're paying less. If you were to set up and offer a membership um, option to your existing clients at a rate that's better than whatever your new pricing is going to be, that is going to give them this sort of adjusted price anchor situation. So again, it's important to understand that even if you do everything above, you're probably not going to be able to avoid losing some clients. But even if they're your very favorite clients, I promise that it's okay. There are other wonderful people and clients out there, and you need to make space for them. It's just part of growing a business. When you are (laughs) making as much or more money in half the time that you are currently making, your sanity is going to thank you, as will your partner, your kids, and your bank account. As a quick postscript to today's episode, I wanted to share a lesson that I really only learned in the last, I don't know, year or so, having to do with some of the language that I used in this episode. When people talk about exempting longtime clients from their new pricing, they often use the word grandfathering. But, and this was news to me, the term grandfathering has a pretty terrible backstory here in the U.S., So in the aftermath of the Civil War, there were several southern states that were working really hard using both, you know, legislation and constitutional amendments to make it harder, if not impossible, for African-American citizens to vote. They instituted literacy tests. They, you know, put poll taxes um, and property ownership restrictions as hurdles that somebody had to jump before being able to vote. Um, And I think most of us know that here in the U.S., that that was a thing that was happening. But um, the sort of twist here is that since putting those restrictions in place would also mean um, stopping a lot of white people from voting, people who were, you know, illiterate or didn't own property or whatever, they also passed something called the Grandfather Clause, which exempted anyone Uh, from the new voting requirements if their ancestors had voting rights before the Civil War. So, you know, if their grandfather could vote, so could they, even if they didn't meet the new qualifications. And obviously, if you were a recently emancipated slave or, you know, a black American, that meant that you, your grandfather wasn't allowed to vote. So now you weren't exempted from that either. The motivation, 100% of the grandfather clause, was to keep poor and illiterate former slaves and their descendants from voting while still allowing poor and illiterate whites to have their voices heard. And that's just one of the many shameful and often hidden pieces of our American history. But, you know, Maya Angelou famously said, when you know better, do better. So I just wanted to share, I have stopped using the term grandfathering uh, with my clients or, you know, in, in casual conversation at all. I used to think it was an innocuous term. It's not. Um, and so I know better. I'm doing better. And I would love to invite you to do the same. All right, guys. Have a great week. 
Well, that's it for this week's episode of This Can't Be That Hard. I'll be back same time, same place next week. In the meantime, you can find more information about this episode, along with all the relevant links, notes, and downloads at thiscan'tbethathard.com slash learn. If you like the podcast, be sure to hit the subscribe button. Even better, share the love by leaving a review in iTunes. And as always, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a fantastic week.